is blockchain making people's lives better around the world? That's the question I set out to answer when I began researching this podcast. I'd heard all the hype about blockchain, but I didn't really feel like I understood it at all. How does it really touch people in reality? What is it about blockchain that's worth all that's been written about it so far? I've been really blown away by the answers I've found to that question as I've looked into this. In so many corners of the world, people have begun to shape incredible ideas of what this technology unlocks. And they've started to deliver tangible results that really do shape the lives of refugees, indentured workers, farmers, the homeless and so many other groups that need help. What's amazing in every case is that the change happening now just wouldn't have been possible without the blockchain and DLT. It's incorruptibility, it's transparency and it's distributed nature above all. This podcast is really just me trying to pass on the fantastic stories that I've come across. I've had the pleasure of speaking to changemakers from all corners of the planet, from Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh to Sunsoak, South Africa. In many cases, we're still in the early stages of their journeys, but the vision, the enthusiasm and the impact of every speaker is absolutely inspiring. Each episode in this series of 10 focuses on a different theme, starting today with combating modern slavery. I really do hope that you enjoy listening and that you come away inspired and informed, understanding blockchain a little better and blown away by what really is being achieved today. How do you make an impact on global slavery using blockchain technology? During this podcast, 300 more people are going to be trapped in indentured work or human slavery. Imagine that you're one of them. You arrive into a new job and find yourself already heavily in debt because of the fact that your contract has been changed without you knowing it to include charges that you never knew existed. Diginex and the Mekong Club have been working in Southeast Asia with leading brands to make an impact on human slavery, leveraging blockchain's key characteristics of transparency and immutability. It's a real pleasure to have Mark Blick here from Diginex to be able to explain how the project's going. So I'm very pleased to have Mark from Diginex here with us today. Hi, Mark. Hi, Bain. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So, Mark, you've, you've been in this business for a while. When, when Diginex and the Mekon Club set up this, this venture, what did the world look like when you, when you came in? Well, looking through a wide lens, we see that 65% of procurement leaders say they have limited or no visibility beyond their tier one suppliers. So within that, we know that modern slavery affects 40.3 million people globally in a $150 billion a year industry, with 9 million new people entering slavery every year. So that's 25,000 new victims every day, 1,000 per hour, one new victim every four seconds. And today, amazingly, there are more slaves than there are Canadians and more slaves than at any other time in history. What we've started to see beginning with the 2015 UK Modern Slavery Act is regulators across Europe, Australia, and North America passing legislation on modern slavery. We've seen class action lawsuits against Nestle, Cargill, Mars, and Hershey for alleged child or slave labor in Cote d'Ivoire and West Africa. We've seen class action lawsuit against Costco and its Thai seafood supplier alleging that Costco knowingly sold prawns from a supply chain tainted by slavery. Just before Christmas last year, an undercover investigation exposed illegally long working hours and low wages for staff at a factory in China producing toys for Disney. And this happens in the UK too. So a slave labor case in the UK against a Yorkshire-based firm who supplies companies including Next and John Lewis. The question used to be, do you employ slaves? Which was a binary yes, no answer, and very blunt. The question now is much more nuanced. 
Can you demonstrate that you are doing everything that can be reasonably expected of you to identify and eliminate cases of forced labor in your supply chain? And there are very few, if any, companies that can meet that standard if they have complex supply chains around the world. We believe that technology and blockchain specifically can play a key role in helping companies to increase transparency in their supply chains and therefore focus in on the actions that they're subsequently taking. So there's a significant sea change going on. Companies, you know, big names, Disney, Nestle, people like that are having to do something about. And just to be clear, so and what we're talking about here is prohibitive costs being added to their contract without their consent, uh, contracts being withheld or contract terms being, being changed without their, their authorization. Um, is, 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 that, is that fair? Yeah, by and large. It's, it's one, new, one new victim of slavery every four seconds. So there are, there are two or three main triggers for this. The first is contract substitution. So a person moves from, a, from country A to country B. Um, in country A, they agree a contract, and that may be for 40 hours a week for X dollars. And when they arrive at the, the country of destination, they find that the, con- the contract has been substituted or edited, and they're working 100 hours a week for, for half of X. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they're having to pay uh, thousands of dollars in fees in order to secure that role. A recent study in Taiwan, so the average amount of fees being paid to secure roles by migrant workers there is between three to $5,000. And of course, many of these migrant workers don't have three to $5,000, so they're then taking out loans from often the same people who are charging the fees in order to secure the roles. So they're working longer hours for less pay and they're highly indebted. And other things like passports being taken away and this exploitation and the threat of violence yep. mean you know, these people are trapped in indentured servitude. All of this starts from a very simple concept. How do we empower migrant workers with a trusted contract that they know can never be taken away from them, edited or denied ever existed, and can be relied upon as a single source of truth? And what we have now, what we have, well, yes, what we have now is a a trust issue. So I'm a migrant worker and I I sign my contract. Um, And currently that migrant worker contract is stored on a central server that is owned by the employer. So that's a, that's a trust issue. Why would I trust that that is the case? And the reality is they are being changed. Um, or they're style, scored in a, in a filing cabinet, which is a security issue. Um, papers can go missing or, or be damaged or, again, be changed because it's a trust issue. So solving for that trust issue and solving for that security issue, and at the same time solving for that transparency issue of being able to demonstrate who is signing what and who is agreeing to what. So to be clear, the, the, the solution that we're talking about in terms of rolling out um, from, a, from a kind of, if, if I am uh, an, an employee in a, in a factory in Vietnam, it's, it's essentially two parts. It's a mobile app, and then obviously it's the database that's behind that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so at the time that we met Mekong Club, we were looking for a partner to work on a project that we believe blockchain technology would be beneficial for. Is there a question of trust, transparency, and security? And for me, I tend to boil blockchain projects down to a single question, which is, I need to know what I'm looking at is what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And within the context of of this question, that's very much an issue. So you you have a contract which is 
shown to the migrant worker and sometimes even taken away from the migrant worker. You have one which is shown to the brand, one for the regulator, um, one for the bank, uh, one for, for the auditor. We know in our conversations with brands that, that for many of these brands who share the same suppliers and share the same factories, they're shown different contracts for the same workers that are customized to their own internal HR and, uh, and sustainability guidelines. So yeah, we needed amazing. to create a scenario which was a, a single source of truth and, and removing that, that issue of, of multiple sources of truth. So essentially, we're talking about an app that, for example, an employee would use to be able to store their employment contracts and then to be able to, as you said, have that single source of truth that any changes to that contract would be logged and tracked so that it, it was absolutely transparent who was messing with it. And then off the back of that, you're able to generate information for the corporate and for the regulators or the, the overseers of the corporate so that the whole kind of ecosystem derives the benefits of the employer and the employee putting the contract in in the first place so there are three things you can do with data on, on blockchain you can enter it hmm. you can add to it and you can read it but you can't yep. delete it, you can't edit it so yep. no change can be made to that contract having been entered hmm. um, what you can do is update it so you can say previously my wage was x now it's y hmm. um, and say I, I meant to say i came from this country but in fact i come from that country um, so we have the ability to to add to the original contract, but the data that was originally entered will always be there. So you can see the trail and you can see the changes that have been made. And the, the migrant worker can have a record, a contract for themselves on their phone. They can also share it with friends and family through, through social media. Mm. Um, the MECO mandate has been, and there are 32 member business association of large global brands that manufacture um, many of the clothes that we wear, um, make many, much of the food that we eat and, and the cosmetics that the people wear. Um, how do we help them by uh, policy advocacy, by uh, um, giving them tools, uh, and by helping them understand their supply chains better? Yep. And we don't, for any second, think that this platform removes the need for the, the social audit processes that are already going on, um, mm -hmm. either by external auditors or by internal company auditors or by, by government regulators. Yep. Um, what we want to do is empower them with beta, better data analysis tools so they can focus their efforts. I was in a Southeast Asian country the other week and I was talking to an auditor. He was very frank saying, I, I have 4,000 fish farms I need to audit every year. And I simply don't have the resources to be able to cover all of them in sufficient depth. And so, so a lot of it is triaging. Um, what we want to be able to do is enable that, that auditor to focus where they spend their time. So if you know with this bucket of audit uh, companies that you need to go and see, there's 60% um, transparency into the, into the employment um, records of the people that they have working for them. Mm. But in another bucket, there's 5%, there's then that's where you spend your time. Yeah. I think one of the criticisms leveled against blockchain is that people generally say it's the all singing, all dancing answer to everything. Really what we're saying here is that it's a tool that empowers and drives efficiencies, but it's, it's always going to need the human layer to make the answers really happen. Yes, 100% agree. Um, we are very careful and uh, we deliberately do not say statements like blockchain is going to solve modern slavery. What we focus on is blockchain is going to enable better trust, transparency and security in particularly the contracting process, but also transparency in to what employment agency fees are being applied. Yep. And through that transparency and better access to data, companies, auditors, and regulators will be able to take more focused actions in eliminating cases of forced labor. I'm Barney Nilsson. I hope you're enjoying this Good Start podcast. 
So far, we've heard about the big picture and the reasons why blockchain was a necessary part of the solution. And we're going to go on now to hear about the practicalities of using blockchain and using the solution in the real world. Before we do, though, one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to make sure that you have a chance to get involved. So please do reach out. If you'd like to get in touch or involved in any way, look us up on thevalueexchange.co slash goodstart or friend us on Facebook or LinkedIn. Thanks and back to the podcast. We've talked about the kind of, I suppose, the principles so far. We have this platform in hand in terms of the mobile app and the, and the dashboards that run behind it. And in practical terms, how are you finding the rollout so far? We have been targeted in where we're looking to roll this out. Um, so we, we do believe, and, and having uh, talked to many people on this, we do believe that the, the tech literacy and smartphone penetration amongst, let's say, migrant workers within garment supply chains is relatively high. So that's a good place for us to start. We signed our original MOU with the Mekong Club back in, in July last year. Um, over the course of August and September, we then worked with six members of the Mekong Club's business association, where we would build iterations of the tool and, and send it back to them, and they would give us feedback, and then we would iterate again. Uh, we finished that process at the end of September and presented it to all 32 members of the Mekong Club's association. But what we really, really needed to do over Q4 last year is refine it from a usability perspective. So we got the process down from, I think the original version was something like 14 clicks for, for a migrant worker. And we refined that down to, it's really two or three. Um, and it's all done through mobile phone and QR codes. It's a very, very simple intuitive process that um, is very easy to understand and adopt. And we started implementing this platform um, in a company that has 17 shrimp farms and 350 workers. And then from there, we will work as part of the larger infrastructure that we'll have access to through this organization, around 100 farms and 5,000 workers in both agri and aquaculture across Thailand. And so in terms of actually your, your daily life at the moment, are you finding that beyond the Mekong Club members, are you getting now companies coming to you to say, look, you know, we really think this is something we need to look at? We absolutely are co having companies come to us on this. And I think that's been a change in the last... I mean, the first three months, let's say, we really spent building the tool um, and creating an awareness around this. And now we are having companies actively approach us. And I think this is driven by, by one of two things. You have, at the one end, companies who have always been best in class at this. It's part of their culture. Um, it's part of their, their po internal policy to uh, strive for a highly transparent, sustainable supply chain. And they're always looking for new ways to achieve this. And then secondly, you have companies who may not have uh, had those goals, but whose feet are being held to the fire because they've been, they've been caught using forced labor or child labor in their supply chains and are having, again, to look at new ways in which they can help combat this. What we do see almost uniformly, with one or two exceptions, is that there's a current misalignment between the resources available to these companies and the scale of the problem they have in front of them. And the scale, to be fair, is... is, is comprehensive and complex companies that we speak to have thousands of tier one suppliers, but then exponentially more tier two, tier three, tier four suppliers. And they're expected to have a degree of visibility throughout that chain. And often they have tens of thousands of suppliers around the world. So there's, there's a global uh, complexity there too. On that then, I mean, if you have, for example, a major global brand, how successful are they in, in applying the, the necessary pressure, for example, to a tier two or a tier three supplier? when they, there's a, obviously a lot of disintermediation in the middle. Yeah, and what we look to do is create, we've termed corridors of integrity. So we know from, 
from this brand to this, uh, this tier one supplier, we can demonstrate a high degree of transparency on employment contracts. And then you look to go both horizontally and vertically. So horizontally, you want to start working with more and more tier one suppliers and creating those corridors of integrity. And then vertically, you, start, you want to start going into tier two, tier three, and tier four suppliers. But this certainly isn't something which is going to happen overnight. Presumably, that's the challenge is that at the top end, the brand is there's already a heavy element of stick as much as there is carrot. But the nearer you approach the actual employee, the more you need to use carrot more than stick, given the location of most of these organizations and likelihood of prosecution there, but also the, the amount they have to lose from giving up some of these practices. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think uh, the, the lower you go, there can be some suspicion around, but if I reveal this data to you, how will you use it against me? So will, will right. you use it to negotiate better terms or will you use it to put more pressure on me? So I think that that, that view of how can we put in place incentives that if you meet certain sustainability criteria around modern slavery and, and other topics, that you are then rewarded with increased um, orders coming through to you. Yeah, well, presumably not just orders, but thinking aloud, presumably an organization that's proven to be a, a good player or to behave well, presumably would be significantly lower risk from a choice perspective. So not just more orders, but presumably better access to credit, better access to all of the kind of the, the bells and whistles that society has to offer. Exactly. And those are conversations we've begun having with banks. So that naturally leads on to where from here. I mean, you, you mentioned, obviously, the communities that you're building out. Where do you aim to be, for example, in a year's time or two years' time with, with the platform? There's two levels. There's the, the scale of what we want to do in terms of how many people we want to work with. And then there's also the future functionality that we want to build onto this platform. Now, earlier on, we covered on the point that we, we really are very focused around the issue of contracts and employment fees because our learnings from working with the Mekong Club and other intergovernmental organizations are those are the two key drivers of, of modern slavery. Often we talk to companies and we have these questions. This is great. Could you also add information on working hours? Could you also add information on salary verification? Could you also help with remittances or medical care? So we're beginning to look at how we build in this additional functionality to the tool. And I think beginning probably from next year onwards, we'll start to see that coming through. Presumably also there's an there's a outreach element. Now that the app is in the hands of the employee, being able to actually to, to communicate with them on a more regular basis if they've got issues or if they've got questions, um, is that part of the plan? Yes, education and awareness is, is very much part of it. And that goes back to our key strategy of, of public-private partnership, not only through the Mekong Club, but also through Verificate and other local NGOs that we're working with, particularly initially. So essentially, we're, we're, we're talking about a technology platform that now exists that really builds on the most basic of blockchain features, which is just the simple fact that you can't mess with it. But you're putting that into the hands of companies around the world, major brands around the world, in order to make sure that the end employees benefit um, and, and that the contract manipulation, that that can be stamped out and, and necessarily, therefore, slow the tide of the thousands of people that enter indenture and slavery every day. Yes. I, I like the tagline of blockchain, you can't mess with it. Focusing on that contract and, and, and just making it something which can't be changed. Yeah. And through that process, we, make a, we don't make a total step, but we make a significant step in empowering the good actors and crowding out the bad actors. 
our goal is not to suddenly roll this out and the problem goes away, but can we, can we start working with the public sector and the private sector and start implementing blockchain technology and start reducing 40 million to 35 and start yeah. increasing the amount of people we help from 0.2 to 3%. I, I have a quote which I like, which is, don't let great get in the way of good. So can, yeah. we, can we make meaningful change quickly and, and aim, aim for aspirationally great in the future, but can we do good now? Fantastic. Well, look, well, thank you so much for running through that. It, it's an inspiring story and genuinely one that I think a lot of people are going to be watching from corporate desks around the world, I'm sure, to, to see when the right time is to jump, not if, but when. So best of luck and, and thank you very, very much for sharing this with us today. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. I'm Barney Nelson and thanks for listening to this week's Good Start episode. Next week, there'll be another amazing story about how blockchain is being used for good, and so make sure to join us then. In the meantime, if you'd like to get involved, look us up on thevalueexchange.co slash goodstart or on LinkedIn or Facebook. Thanks, and see you next week.